Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Design. On this podcast, we'll talk to the people who design things to find out the stories behind their work and how they approach the creative process. My name is Mike Bifulco. I'm a software designer living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I started this project because it's inspiring to hear about other people's passions as well as their struggles. And my name is Andrew Miller. I'm a UX designer living in Boston. We believe that product designers everywhere can benefit by hearing about what we all go through. It's our hope that by sharing anecdotes, we can make design better for everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Mike. Sure. So Atlas is a wearable device uh, that's, that can identify and track your specific activity at the gym. Uh, so what we're, we're looking at stuff beyond just steps. Uh, this is where, where the most common understanding of what wearable technology uh, is focused around. And uh, we, we really see our technology as something that will power the next generation of wearables. Uh, so, I mean, with just uh, a wrist-worn sensor, with just Atlas, you can, you can uh, just on the wrist as well, you can, we can identify if you're doing push-ups, if you're doing triangle push-ups, bicep curls, sit-ups, squats, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and our main goal is really to create something that's so simple and so effortless to use that it, it, it's, it becomes very easy to adopt into the natural user flow of, of anyone who goes to the gym. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have the normal pedometer functionality baked in. We also uh, give some insights into sleep as well. Yeah. So actually, a part of the design and something that we've uh, thought very carefully about is is how we want the the device to not only sort of fit seamlessly with your, with the user's life, but also be useful to a point where it adds a lot of value. Uh, so uh, along with the design, uh, the Atlas will have a capacitive touch display uh, so that the user will not only be able to get live feedback uh, as necessary with glanceable stats, glanceable analytics, but also have the opportunity to interface with the device uh, to pass along more information to improve the experience. Wow, okay. Well, that sounds exciting. That's definitely uh, it's, uh, something that sets apart. So for full clarity, I'm, I'm sitting here uh, at my desk with my Nike Plus Fuel Band on that I've been wearing for the past couple of years, ah, nice, uh, yeah. which, which you know, certainly does the trick for, for things like measuring the amount of steps I do. But, uh, you know, hearing something like a capacitive touchscreen is totally different from, from what this device has. And uh, certainly being able to count reps and things like that are totally different. I mean, that's that's worlds above what, uh, what, what my Fuel Band can do, um, even though I do credit my Fuel Band with, you know, keeping me from being lazy on my my more uh, inactive days. Yeah, absolutely. We loved what Fitbit and Fuel Band has done, uh, Jawbone as well, with, along the Jawbone and Misfit uh, as well, along with the design aspects. I mean, we've we've we we have the luxury of of them helping us set the scene, and we've learned a lot from from the amazing products that they've come out with. So why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of the genesis of the, the project, um, maybe what your background is in, where you, what you were doing before this, and, and how you stumbled into this, and, and uh, what led you to where you're at today. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess quick life story, born and raised north of Boston, I uh, was uh, active, a competitive swimmer um, all through high school, and uh, strength training and fitness has always been a core 
a core habit of mine. I mean, habit in a good way. And uh, it was really uh, my sophomore year in college uh, at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, where I was working with a good friend and colleague of mine, uh, helping him on a, on a platform for motivating students and faculty to, to get fit, uh, either lose weight or gain muscle. And with, within that, that frame, uh, we tested a couple of things on how, 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 how humans are motivated and how uh, new habits are formed. And uh, we tested uh, the, the benefits of team and competitiveness, uh, the benefits of extrinsic motivators. And the third, the way to score people is we had a personal trainer day. So every, Saturday, every other Saturday, uh, you could come anytime and there would be a personal trainer there to walk you through a couple of the standardized, standardized fitness tests to be able to gauge how well you're doing. And it was really through this process where we found that the competitiveness and the extrinsic motivators are all, are all great. Are all great. Uh, but what we what we found was very compelling and very powerful from a from an individual's perspective is being able to see what you've done in the past, how how it has affected your body, what progress you're making, and then using that type of uh, extra understanding and that quantified uh, sort of self uh, that, that the availability of the quantified self data to help one improve better and understand themselves more. So. Uh, it was after that, really, where uh, we began to build the prototypes, test out the concepts, and uh, it was about a year and a half ago where our first prototype uh, proved to uh, tell the difference not only between general exercises, but uh, speaking to the testament of, uh, testament of the specificity is that we could tell the difference between normal push-ups and triangle push-ups. Yeah, that's amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about the prototypes? Uh, you know, we, Mike and I both do design work for work and we you know everybody has their way of working some people like note and you know like sketchbooks some people go straight to digital so what's your what's your design your your preferred design approach yeah so so uh, as a hardware company we have uh, i guess as, as a double-edged sword we have the luxury and the the challenge of balancing the technical development with the the design and the user experience side uh, very simultaneous, very, 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 at pretty much at the same time, where they work very closely hand in hand. Uh, so, from the technical perspective, it's it's very much as the, the quickest we can get working prototypes out, the better. And uh, for that, we we've been using a lot of off-the-shelf components and really modifying them to try to create some sort of Frankenstein of a solution uh, to be able to test the platform. Uh, but from from the the consumer product perspective, uh, we've been building up definitely from sketches uh, from. Whiteboards. Whiteboards are probably one of the greatest things ever. Uh, we have them all over our, our startup startup office, and um, and moving forward from there, we've definitely worked towards uh, different types of modeling. Uh, the advent of 3D printing is has been incredibly helpful. Uh, Shapeways and has helped us like literally print uh, a, a 3D prototype that is not just of solid, not just of uh, rigid material but also made with polyjet, which is like a, a flexible type of plastic. So we can actually wear the device, see how it feels and fits on our skin, uh, how sweat, how it is affected by sweat and how it's affected by wear and tear. So what uh, can you tell us some uh, some good lessons you learned as you were prototyping uh, things that you, you know, sort of reaffirmed your product, your, your uh, focus on prototyping as a as a design process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's uh, so something that's certainly been very interesting from the idea of uh, explaining an idea verbally or with just uh, hand-drawn sketches 
uh, is, is great. It's something we believe is necessary for the, for the innovative process, process of design. Uh, but then at the same time, it's, it's sort of hard from, from, uh, from, a, from, a, from just the human's perspective. The idea of answering uh, hypotheticals becomes difficult. Where if you're describing to someone, like, what do you think of this type of design? How would you uh, be affected by it? Would you like it or would you not like it? Like, those questions that uh, require us to put ourselves in a hypothetical is sort of different. And certainly within our design processes, it, it, we found that it helps to have tangible uh, prototypes from clay molds, from, uh, from uh, styrofoam, carve-outs, that sort of thing that help us realize what the physical object might look and feel like, which then sets the frame of understanding how the design would affect the user experience in a much more uh, realistic way. And do you find that people are wearing these devices in lieu of watches? Because uh, conceptually, that's that's its basis, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so the wrist definitely, for, historically, the wrist has been a place for watches and for bracelets as well. And uh, so we sort of get a mixed response. Um, some do indeed look to replace their watch. Um, but then also others do wear it as, as a sense of jewelry, as a sense of an, an additional item on top of the watch that they wear. So, Peter, one of the things I'm curious about uh, with the use case for, for the Atlas, uh, you talk about it, it being you know, very good at, at sensing different exercises as you do them at the gym. Um, mm-hmm. is, that, is that kind of the main use case? Are you focusing less on sort of the rest of the day and more on just the workout sessions themselves? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So we are very much so. We believe. I mean, there are many solutions uh, by many, many amazing companies that are very much tailored to uh, the average everyday use. Uh, but something where we feel like there is a is a very clear pain point is with strength training and uh, in the gym uh, experiences, as well as well as additional athletics such as uh, swimming. Uh, I personally can't seem to get away from swimming from having spent so many years and hours in the pool. Um, but, uh, but it's very much for the, the person who already goes to the gym. Sure. Okay. And or, or works out at home. Uh, do you, do you, so this might, might be another feature. You might've actually mentioned this already. Uh, does the Atlas do heart rate monitoring as well? Yep. Yeah. That's something we're really excited about. Uh, the, the idea of not only being so, so from the, from the, from the analytical or from the technical perspective of Atlas, we really see two real benefits. Uh, the algorithm and the technology itself, A, really lends a lot of context to your emotion above just the single metric of steps. So we're able to tell you what exercise you're doing, how many times you do it, record it for you automatically, but then also tell you how much rest you take in between each set, how quickly you go through the motions, uh, how quickly your form degrades, uh, and by proxy what your, what your stamina, endurance, and what your recovery rate looks like. And on the other side, from the biometric standpoint, we're really interested in, in combining this level of context with your heart rate to be able to see how your body is affected by these exercises, uh, how, how to uh, 70% of maximum after a high-intensity set, uh, et cetera, to really enable users to understand how their body works, how their body is affected. Okay, and that kind of leads into, I guess, the next thing that, that intrigued me when I was reading about the device is that you seem to have a, a plans, at least, for a good deal of integration with third-party services. Yep. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like and maybe how you chose the services that you're going to be working with and why? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, from, from a fitness perspective, I've definitely uh, tried it. I mean, the majority of the wearable devices uh, tested a, a, a couple dozen of the different apps and, uh, and we ended up going with, uh, for, 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 for sure, integrations with MapMyFitness and Photocracy. So, I mean, we, we've had the luxury of meeting 
the management teams behind both of these amazing applications and uh, have had great experiences with their community and, and with the type of services their app architecture provides. Okay, um, so from from the perspective of the person, say who's who's going in and, and uh, you know having a workout and hoping to upload it to Map My Fitness, for example, um, yep. you said that uh, the device sort of automatically has an understanding of what I'm doing, say push-ups, and then you know diamond push-ups, whatever I may be doing that that particular day. Um, how, how does the workflow fit into then uh, sending it to these other services? Is that a mm -hmm. you know while I'm working out, after I'm working out, mm -hmm. a after you're working out? Uh, so, or, or I mean, you could do it while you're working out too, but then you, you just have to upload it again whenever you're done. Um, and the ideal use case is you can work out with the Atlas Band. It'll guide you through your workout if you want it to. Uh, it'll be able to give you the analytics on the app side as well. And then at the same time, you can upload all your progress to your existing uh, profile to maintain your rapport and whatever community you're already integrated in. Okay, so an interesting point for me is, is that it sounds like uh, you're taking on the the arguably very difficult task, of course, of, of figuring out what workouts I'm doing and why, uh, but then sort of taking advantage of these existing platforms that are already out there to uh, do the tracking around how my performance is changing over time and, and uh, keeping an archive of, of workout uh, activity. Is that sort of uh, accurate? Yeah, yeah, that's accurate. And, uh, and of course, within the Atlas application itself, uh, you'll have a, a similar functionality as well. Uh, just from the users we've uh, interacted with, a lot of them are very interested in maintaining their existing profile, which is something we uh, are, are, are very much agree with. Like having a year's worth of data already recorded is something that we're not going to ask users to have to pack up and move. Uh, we want to enable users to continue their useful to really make the experience as seamless as possible. It sounds like you're going to have a huge amount of data. Do you have any plans to aggregate it and to use use the data for some other purpose? I, I don't mean anything nefarious, but um, you know, could you could you position yourselves as um, having some insight into human behavior or exercise behavior, and based on the data, publish some uh, some science, or would you use it to as part of a feedback cycle to fine tune the product? And if 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 that's the case, if you can tell us a little bit uh, about how you might do that. All right. Yeah. Sure. So two two big questions there. Um, how we can use the data to help the community, and the second being a level of personalization on the Atlas device itself. Um, so so I guess I'll answer the second one. First, uh, so the, the way the algorithm works is is it, it essentially maps out the 3D trajectory of your wrist, which we can then uh, estimate what your body is doing on a full scale. So by doing squats, though your wrist doesn't necessarily move with respect to your body, it does with respect to 3D space, and we're able to identify those motions. And so with that, uh, from an individual's perspective, each atlas, uh, it, the uh, the algorithms and the the machine learning behind it, it within it is very. Um, very adaptive and, and can learn. So the more you use your atlas, the better and more, more personalized it will be to your particular style. And uh, speaking to your first point uh, with regard to the community and how the data will be able to help uh, anyone in the entire environment uh, is uh, right now we're working with personal trainers and fitness gurus here in Austin uh, where we're collecting and creating a library and database of, of exercises. So we're we're exclusively picking out uh, those who've had at least half a decade of experience in the fitness industry to be able to create a gold standard of form. And, and something that we're really lo looking forward to is, is the ability to say, 
Well, okay, looks like you did 12 squats. The first eight you did, uh, they matched the gold standard very well. You get an A to A minus, that sort of grade. Uh, and then the last four you sort of cheated on. You know, the, sec- last se- uh, the second to the last two were, uh, you know, B pluses. But really the last two were like C minus and one was an F. We shouldn't have counted those, but we're going we're gonna to see what you think. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that seems like that's something that could be sort of, uh, you know, very motivating mm-hmm. from the perspective of someone, especially who's trying to set their own personal records and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or demotivating. <laughs> I suppose yeah, that's or demotivating. Absolutely. I, I, I don't want my watch telling me that it doesn't think that I did a good push-up that lost one. It was really tough. It doesn't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> so there must well, have been a large amount of data collection that went into this too, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, one of our biggest... Uh, challenges moving forward is being able to handle all the uh, alpha devices we are rolling out and uh, and definitely I mean we've gotten an incredible amount of help from the fitness community here in Austin and I certainly want to thank uh, many people for that. Can you tell us a little bit about the measurement of non-active behavior like sleep? Um, yeah just yeah give it give us sort of like the a primer on that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so to be honest, uh, a little bit about the sleep, the, the marketing behind the sleep tracking is a little bit uh, hazy. Uh, the correlation directly just between movements and the, the, the REM cycles that you have, uh, are, the correlation isn't necessarily very strong. But there's certainly value to understanding how active you are during your sleep, how often you roll over, um, that sort of thing. And, uh, I mean, it's certainly a part of one's health and fitness, the amount of sleep you get, uh, the exercise you get, uh, as well as the nutrition. So uh, we do sort of see a, a trifecta of, of, of different types of disciplines really converging on a holistic picture of one's health. And so it sounds like you've done a really good job of getting as much possible information from the sensors that you have with gyroscope and so forth. Is there a single sensor that if you could close your eyes and imagine it, what would that what would that be that would make this totally like game changing? A single sensor? Um, I mean, I, I would say. Uh, so I, I'm not sure this is even physically possible. Um, is, is that all right? No, absolutely. And you know, when you when you close your eyes and imagine what the perfect product is, what you know, like. Technology, technology aside, what one thing would you want to be able to measure in addition that would make this like, you know, exponentially more powerful? Yeah. So, so I mean, so I would have to say, um, I mean, well, I guess I have two. Uh, so one being a, a high precision, uh, minimal drift, low power GPS. Um, something like, I mean, we would have loved to been able to pack a GPS into this, but the, the resolution you get and the power consumption required would really destroy the, the average user's use case. Um, so being able to actually pinpoint the specific location uh, independent of uh, drift from the sensors would be incredible. And okay. uh, on the flip side, uh, the, nutri- the nutritional component is something really interesting to us. Um, being able to identify what's in your diet, et cetera. So if there was some type of biometric sensor that could somehow, uh, maybe uh, obvious, hopefully in a non-invasive manner, measure and quantify uh, your diet as well, uh, I certainly think a technology like that would be very powerful. Yeah, that would be huge, (laughs) especially from the perspective of, uh, you know, people I'm sure who are doing like marathons and races and things like that, keeping an eye on 
glucose levels and things like that while you race are, are critical. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that would pretty much be the, the mirror of what Atlas does for weight, tra- for uh, strength training to what, uh, to, to something that would, uh, solve the problem of manually entering your diet, your nutrition information. Well, uh, I just wanted to note, um, as you were conjuring up this idea, the landscape, the, the competitive landscape was filling with, with uh, you know, some misfires like the first version of Jawbone's product, mm-hmm. um, but then the Fuel Band and Fitbit and uh, you know, and the long stream of of, uh, of other big players. So, were you? Dissuaded, or did it enthuse you to uh, mm-hmm. to move forward? Yeah, great question. I, and I would definitely say that the latter. I mean, uh, we we definitely we view the wearable market as sort of a uh, an all, a rising tide lifts all boats sort of sort of mentality, where uh, it's it's really incredible how pervasive uh, wearable technology is now, and uh, we just hope to be able to add to that entire family of products. Peter, one more thing that strikes my curiosity about the, the functionality of the product itself. Uh, how are you approaching activities that aren't necessarily as predictable as, say, weightlifting? Things that come to mind are, uh, for example, like dancing, running, maybe cycling, um, mm-hmm. things like yoga that, that don't necessarily have uh, repeated movements. Yeah, absolutely. So those are all things that uh, will be uh, accessible from our platform, actually. So we're going to be launching with 50 to 100 of the most popular exercises that will be uh, curated by the backer community that uh, that helps us reach our campaign. Uh, we've actually surpassed our campaign goal, but helps us reach our stretch goals in order to add even more function, be able to infu- afford even more functionality and even more features in the device itself. Um, so from from a base level, uh, some other cool analytics that we can get from Alice is, uh, for example, the stability of your motion, which is something in yoga uh, that w- we think will be very, very valuable of a statistic, as well as your heart rate throughout your entire uh, for example, vinyasa routine. Um, and then at the same time, uh, from the athletics perspective, uh, we've in the future roadmap, we certainly have plans for integration to uh, a lot of different form-related sports. So uh, NFL for a, a throw like Peyton or in, in basketball to get Ray Allen's three-point shot, to be able to see how you stack up with the professional athletes in the world. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, so actually something for our, our initial release where where what, I, what I'm personally really excited about is this concept called ghosting. So uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever played uh, like Super Mario Kart on N64. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So when you get a, when you have a personal record on any particular map, uh, you have then have the opportunity to race against the ghost of your of your best self to be able to improve and to be able to uh, to improve yourself as well as see what has worked in the past. And uh, from a strength training perspective. Uh, being able to get live feedback while you're working out, maybe you're not taking enough rest this time, maybe your heart rate is maxing out really early, we think will enable users to really be able to ghost not only against themselves, but with uh, many other fitness enthusiasts around the world as well as professional athletes themselves. I can imagine that being really cool. So one of the things that I do uh, is I'm a, I'm a cyclist, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the application Strava. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they've got an incredible uh, suite for cyclists. Yeah. So well, one of the things I do really well is is tracking you against other people, sort of in in that time trial way, where they're yep. you know marked segments on the road. And I can imagine hearing a beep when I'm about to hit a segment on my wrist, and and you know taking off for the end of the the, the road or whatever it may be to to yep. catch up with whoever's in front of me on the list. That's yep. a really interesting idea. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. 
So uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to talk a, a bit about uh, your experience with with crowdfunding. Um, so yeah. you're using Indiegogo as your your platform for uh, raising money f- at the moment. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what decisions went into that, and maybe where you were before you started with Indiegogo, and where you see see yourself after? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the the crowdfunding platform is 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 an in- an incredible innovation over the last couple of years that really enables. Uh, and innovators and inventors to be able to share their product with the world and 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 really test if there's any traction. And uh, so, from a from a funding perspective, it's, it's 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 I would say for a hardware company, it's nearly impossible to start a company just from the funds you get from an Indiegogo. It certainly helps offset a lot of the fixed costs, but there's still a lot of uh, behind the scenes fundraising required from uh, private angel investors and venture capitalists along the, along the way to be able to really create a product that uh, that, sh- that deserves to be delivered. And um, I mean, so from the Indiegogo, we've been gaining a lot of traction and certainly uh, definitely uh, please help contribute. Uh, we've got a, a really exciting stretch goal for 175. We've unlocked another color, uh, so which will also be a backer's choice. So you'll be able to choose an additional color on top of black. And then uh, we're also at 250. Um, I believe we have an additional integration for another application outside of Matt My Fitness and, and uh, Photocracy. That's great, and so we'll we'll definitely provide a link to your Indiegogo campaign in the show notes. Uh, so oh, for our listeners, incredible. you can get to that um, in the show notes, and we'll include it in our Facebook post and, and the tweets about this as well. Um, so, uh, what, were, were there any things that were sort of unforeseen consequences of using Indiegogo? Mm, yeah, great question. So we had, we had the luxury of getting a lot of amazing advice from a lot of great mentors. Um, so actually, someone we met through uh, the TechStars Accelerator program. Uh, Oots, uh, he founded uh, UB, uh, UBE, which is a smart light. And uh, we had the, the amazing opportunity to learn a lot about his experiences, uh, like uh, how valuable uh, your, your, your close friends and family community is, how valuable it is to maintain uh, connection with your community, not only through social media channels, but through email and, and uh, through Reddit, etc. There's many different forums to, to hear the voice of, of those who have supported you. And uh, I mean, so certainly something that uh, we, we, we definitely got the warnings, um, but never really, it never really sunk in and how uh, uh, overwhelming it would be, would be the, the type of emails and the, the number of emails and the responses that we get where a good, uh, a good chunk of our time now is spent on, uh, on maintaining these relationships, responding as quickly as we can uh, to, to all, of our question, all of the questions that we get. You know, I've got to say, from my perspective, you're pretty good about that. I, I emailed you and probably had a response within a day. Uh, so uh-huh. I, I was impressed by that. And it can certainly be inundating when you're in the middle of, uh, you know, a campaign, um, especially when things around the time we started talking was right when your campaign was getting starting to get a lot of attention, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. We try, we try our best and uh, to respond as, as quickly as we can. So how does your involvement with Indiegogo uh, link up to the Techstars uh, startup accelerator that you're working with? Was that something that they recommended or was this an idea that you pursued on your own? Um, so, I mean, from, so the Techstars program we had an incredible experience on. And I, I guess the Indiegogo experience is sort of separate, um, but we've certainly got a lot of advice from many of the mentors we've made through the Techstars program. Uh, so, so Techstars itself is a three-month accelerator that helps entrepreneurs not only secure a little bit of seed funding, but really what's valuable is the mentorship network that the Techstars family provides. And uh, just, I guess, a quick summary for those who don't know, Techstars is uh, it's a three-month program. Uh, first, first month, you get 
uh, a ton of exposure to many successful entrepreneurs, successful business people, successful marketers, successful uh, management consultants, etc. where you get to pitch your idea. Um, and one of the first parts is the refinement of the idea. And the second of it is getting their feedback from the, the incredible spectrum of disciplines that uh, their background supports. And I mean, so for the first month, I think we met with 87 or more uh, mentors and it was a speed dating format where uh, every day you would have five meetings for about 30 minutes each and you would just go in and out into different meetings, pitch, get your idea totally torn apart uh, and shredded and then really walking out at the end of Techstars having a much better and firm understanding of uh, what your market is, what your consumer wants, what's the thought process uh, for how you can become a cash flow positive company. Okay. Wow. That's, that sounds like it was probably a really uh, exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, did you find yourselves seeking funding uh, before going to Indiegogo for crowdsourcing? Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, we were. So we have uh, had gotten a little bit of our, our funding round secured prior to the Indiegogo, but we've been continuing our conversations with uh, the angels and the VCs as we move forward. Uh, Peter, I was wondering if you could tell us the, um, you know, a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are uh, inventors or product designers or would love to be, but there's, you know, there's there are all sorts of reasons why they don't why they don't do it. And I guess uh, if you had advice for them specifically about how you went about, you know, like lessons learned with regard to crowdfunding um, and uh, and then any other tips with regard to, you know, sort of sticking with it and seeing it through, etc. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I'm in a particular position to be giving too much great advice here. So everything. Uh, definitely, please take with a grain of salt, a large heap of salt. Um, but uh, certainly, I know this may be a very overused and may may seem trite uh, type of advice. But certainly, just keep like the persistence uh, is very important, and and it's not like persistence to a point of stubbornness, but really uh, making sure that your reasons for persistence really stem out of some particular passion of yours. And uh, it's definitely something that you 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 need to enjoy what you're doing. And um, I mean, we certainly at Alice, we certainly do. And, and working all the time doesn't even really feel like work anymore. It really sort of is is uh, it's, it's it's tons of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. Are you hiring? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about how many folks are on the Atlas team? Yeah, absolutely. So the core team itself is uh, myself. Uh, and uh, the co-founder of mine, Michael Kasparian, we've been great friends since preschool, actually. Um, our sisters are also the same age, so uh, we picked on them a little bit together uh, while we were growing up. And yeah, he has an electrical engineering background and worked at Philips Healthcare doing circuit design for defibrillators. And uh, uh, our, our first employee, Alex Shea, has been an incredible help and uh, an incredible addition in terms of helping us solve a wide array of software problems. And uh, the website was actually designed by and uh, designed and built by him. And it's, it's so, I mean, web web design and and uh, code is actually not his focus. And um, and he also worked at Maxim Integrated, uh, not the magazine, uh, for about three years doing embeddable software design. 
And the the fourth member, core member, is uh, Mehdi, and uh, he was a good friend of a friend who uh, we were just incredibly lucky to have that introduction being made. Uh, he is a machine learning PhD student about to graduate, um, who has been helping us refine our algorithms and make the uh, make the intelligence of Atlas even 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 higher. It sounds like you have the all star the all star team. Oh, sir. I mean, I sorry, sir. I certainly feel so. I mean, we've been incredibly lucky to have all of this great talent uh, be so interested and so passionate about this one problem. So, what's next? Yeah, I mean, so so I mean, after the Indiegogo, uh, we are all heads down on product development. Uh, so we're working very closely with Dragon Innovations, who've helped the likes of Pebble, MakerBot, uh, bring their products to market. Uh, and over the next uh, two, three, three plus quarters, we'll be working very hard to uh, make sure the design uh, can hold up through uh, design for manufacturing. So this is something that uh, was new to me, uh, that the processes behind uh, the mechanical engineering for a physical product is very different than what you dream and hope it to be. There are certain things that uh, need to be adapted, and, uh, and really a lot of the design stems from what is technologically feasible from a full-scale perspective. Yeah, I'd imagine there's a lot of certifications and things like that that go into it as well, huh? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so certifications are, are, are certainly a big challenge and a roadblock in terms of uh, the product. So actually, initially when we launched Indiegogo, uh, we were uncertain about uh, being able to support international orders in terms of fulfilling all of the certifications and legal requirements. And we've been able to work through those and are now taking orders internationally. I have one big philosophical question for you, Wonderful. and that is, what, what, what does it mean as a, as a society and a race of people that we are looking to measure these things with the level of granularity? <clears throat> and, uh, and, you know, in some ways, it seems to me that it collides with the, uh, if, it, if there's no YouTube video, it didn't happen at all. So, you know, I know from wearing my Nike fuel band and my wife with her Fitbit that there's the sense of, oh, I forgot to put it on. This run doesn't count. So what so from someone who's actually participating in this in this industry, like what are your do you have any sort of philosophical thoughts on what it means? Yeah, that's a nice deep question. Um so <laughs> from a from a from an evolutionary perspective, I certainly think the idea of quantification and measurement is in the future for, for humans and, and uh, for you and I. Um, as, the, as the advancements in technology and engineering make uh, the ability to quantify these sorts of things uh, incredibly easy. I mean, I mean if, you, if we go back to just probably, I mean, even the innovation of the calculator and then the innovation of the computer and then the innovation of the cell phone and, like, being able to simplify tasks that were previously... Uh, tedious and uh, and sort of even painstaking, really. Like, I mean, when you first started to program, you had to. Oh, excuse me, there are a bunch of dogs here. But when you first started to program, you had to punch a bunch of holes on a card in order to communicate with the computer. And I mean, the the changes that have happened since that have been incredible. You can wave your hand in front of your TV to change the channel. You can talk to your phone to get directions home. And I certainly see a, a sort of convergence in the user interface and the user experience on on not only from uh, from a, from ascending commands to a computer perspective, but also from a quantified perspective. Being able to really actually understand what you do every day without having to spend extra cycles on it personally. Yeah. So what's the downside to it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Is, is there? Yeah. Girl, there, there are always downsides to everything, right? 
Um, there are certainly uh, certain levels of privacy concerns and certain levels of loss of, of the human identity itself. And uh, I mean, it's sort of hard to say at this point on what will be of concern, but I mean, we, we certainly hope to, to be helping the positives of this movement. <laughs> That's great. Well, Peter, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on and talking to us. No, absolutely. Yeah, Mike and Andrew is wonderful. It's wonderful to be here.